Good evening. I welcome you back and thank you for being here as we continue on our journey with John. We are endeavoring to do that. If you haven't been with us on Sunday nights, we are endeavoring to go through this account of the gospel from John's perspective, which is a very unique perspective. Tonight we talk about the trial of Jesus. Two things as we begin uh, that do a preacher's heart good. Uh, This very full stage and uh, some pretty empty and continuing to empty bulletin boards as you leave the building uh, are both good reminders to me of what kind of people Northside uh, have always been, continue to be, and it is my hope will always be in the future. Generous, caring, uh, looking out for the needs of those around them, and uh, that is evident in so many ways. That's a lot of good fruit from the tree. And of course we understand that's not our fruit. That's his fruit. But that comes by us staying connected to the vine and yielding obedience, submissiveness in our hearts to him. Someone asked me about uh, the envelope system and wanted me to clarify that, so I thought I would do that as we begin. Um, the uh, envelope, whatever amount you decide to give, you and your family, you should select envelopes that equal to that amount. So um, this envelope was handed to me, um, has 170 on it. And so they put that amount in the envelope. Now someone asked me, well, okay, if we choose multiple envelopes, do we have to write multiple checks? No, don't make it that complicated. Uh, just take the highest envelope and put that check in there and, and send it, mail it into Carpenter Place or hand it to me or hand it to the Holtz or Ben Zikafus or Justin Harold. We'll see that it gets to the right place. Uh, the goal is to, as a congregation, be able to come together and endeavor to host a girl or not host a girl, provide for one of the Carpenter Place girls uh, in addition to what we already do. If you're in your Bibles tonight, you're going to want to turn to John chapter 18. Our text is in John chapter uh, chapter 18, verses 12 through 40. Tonight, John takes us to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is not named specifically in the Gospel of John. We have to go to Matthew or Mark to get that specific name. But as we talked about, and I appreciate so much Carl leading 10,000 angels, um, because we enter into this holy arena at Gethsemane. Other than the name of the garden where Jesus was praying and where he was eventually arrested, do you know what Gethsemane means? Um, because this is a sermon, I don't expect you to answer. It's sort of a rhetorical question. And you say, what's a rhetorical question? The word Gethsemane in the culture uh, meant an olive press. And in case you don't know what that looks like, uh, this was an olive press. Now, there's not any olive press like this in Gethsemane today, but Gethsemanes were an everyday part of life in the olive-producing country where Jesus lived. The olive, as you may or may not know, is a very important part of that economy, of that country today, and it was especially so in Bible times. Uh, The olive was not only important for food, but they used the oil in their lamps for medicinal purposes, 
as a preserving agent, as a skin care agent. Uh, and so to, to use not just the olive as food, but to use the very special part of the oil, uh, here's how they did that. Olives, when they come off the plant, are not soft as we understand them. They're actually very hard. The exterior shell of those olives must be cracked open. And so how they do that is they use a large millstone. They put the olives there in that the uh, Gethsemane. They roll the stone around and they crack them. And they scoop them up and they put them into a bag, which looks like a woven burlap bag. And they bring them over to um, this instrument, this uh, large stone column. Uh, I misspoke earlier. This is the Gethsemane. And they would lift up that large stone column and they would take the woven bags of olives and they would put them. And I would wonder if you guys in the booth might just bring this to projection mode because I know those pictures are very hard to see. Um, would that be possible, guys? Could you put that? I just know our, our light is so bad in here. Uh, I want them to be able to see this if they can. Then they would, they would set these, these, these bags of olives that have been cracked open, and they're full of these olives, and they would set these bags and stack them one upon the other upon the other. And they would set the Gethsemane, the large stone, back down on the olives. They would leave it standing there, and as that enormous weight begins to press down heavily on the olives, after a few minutes at the base of the stone, Deep, dark oil slowly begins to, tr- to drip down, then trickle into this groove, and it would go down into a pit where it was caught. That was how they harvested the oil from the olives. Jesus lived with Gethsemanes all his life. Its job was to squeeze the life out of that olive, that very precious oil upon which so much of their economy of that day depended. Tonight in John chapter 18, we're going to watch the oil begin to run. And next week as we get into uh, the crucifixion, we'll see it run even more. In John chapter 18, uh, here comes Judas with a detachment of soldiers. Some commentary said those uh, detachments could be anywhere from 200 to 600 in number. And in verses 1 through 11, which is not in the text, but kind of previews the story, he was arrested. On the east side of Jerusalem, toward the Mount of Olives, there's a a, a number of olive groves there. Uh, this is in the Kidron Valley on the, the mountain. There are many gardens, and it's very possible as he sat east of the city over on the mount, and they came down into the valley, that he was able to see the torches of that detachment of soldiers coming to get him and hear them and know that his disciple was with him. 
The Garden of Gethsemane was a place frequented by Jesus and his 12 disciples. So this was not an unfamiliar place. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons, Jesus, knowing that all, all what was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the word spoken might be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In this arrest, in this moment, we see, um, you might well entitle it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Jesus, of course, being the good. Judas, of course, being the bad. And I guess that would leave Malchus to be the ugly. As we consider what Peter was trying to do there, when he, uh, I don't think he was aiming for Malchus's ear. He was intending to take that old head off, but... Of course, we remember Peter was not a swordsman by trade. He was a fisherman. And so, uh, girding the huge sword and trying to lift it up, he missed. And I imagine that was quite an effort for Peter. He was really trying to stand up to Jesus. You can only imagine his look of consternation as later in the other gospel accounts were told that Jesus would put the ear right back on. Um, you know, you got to imagine Peter struggling there because... You know, Lord, it's going to be awful hard to kill these guys if you keep healing them. In verse 12, uh, they then take Jesus for the second part of this. He was questioned. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year, Caiaphas, was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. 
hopefully it's not lost on that, that I don't believe John was referring just to the temperature of the night air that evening. Or his own disciple who he had spent three years with to so quickly and coldly deny him was indeed a cold thing to do. At first he was questioned by Annas. Now, if you don't know the history on this, um, Annas was not the current high priest in title, but he certainly was in influence. John Maxwell likes to talk about leadership, and he says there's different levels of leadership. He said, first there's the person who has the title, then there's the person who has the influence. Um, Annas would have, would have kind of been like the high priest emeritus. He didn't have all the, the duties and the functions of the job. Uh, he had served, according to historical records, about 50, uh, 20 to 25 years prior to when these events are taking place. But he had five sons and one son-in-law in the position at one point. And he begins to question Jesus. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I have done nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Essentially, Anna says, let me, let me talk to this guy here. Let me see if I can make some sense. Tell us what it is you're teaching. To which Jesus replies, you know what I've been teaching. There is no secret. I have not kept anything. This is not a, a closed meeting. Everything I've done has been out in public for everyone to hear. Uh, there should be no question about what I am teaching, to which he was struck in the face. You don't talk to the high priest that way. Someone of such distinguishment. And as G- this is all happening, Peter is outside denying his own rabbi. Okay, so in verses 25 through 27, the next part happens. As Simon Peter stood there warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter, uh, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, he's heading to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the the high priest, the chairman of the Sanhedrin. They had to charge him to be able to send him to Rome. This is what they're working on. They're trying to find a means by which they can trap him. And get him to get them to come up with some charge worthy of, of the only reason sending him to Rome is for death. Uh, we don't get much interaction or details on the interaction with Jesus and Caiaphas 
in the account of John. But Peter is there warming himself from his first cold denial. And then Malchus's cousin comes along and says, Hey, you're the guy that's the terrible swordsman. You cut off my cousin's ear. I know you. No, no, what are you talking about? Must have been another guy named Peter. Uh, never heard of him. So, finally, early Friday morning, somewhere in the wee hours, he's delivered uh, after he's charged, uh, which would have happened in the interaction between Jesus and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. At some point, they were able to send him on toward Rome. Verses 28 through 40 is where we are. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. This is interesting because John's sort of subtly hinting here that they, they sort of got to get this over and done with, and they they don't want to go into the palace of the Gentiles because then they'll be unclean. They won't be able to partake of the Passover. As we'll later see, uh, Jesus is presented very clearly in John as the Passover lamb of God. The irony is so rich that to be able to partake of the Passover lamb that they so deeply wanted to be a part of, they wanted to hurry up. They wanted to get Rome to crucify the Passover lamb. So Pilate, <clears throat> verse 29, came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If we were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. See, this is the, this is the whole reason they've got to get Pilate to get on their side. This happened so that the words of Jesus that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the death, the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Jesus replied, uh, I'm sorry, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? <laughs> Am I a Jew? Pilate asked. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis to charge to, for a charge against him. 
But it is your custom to release to you, for me to release to you, one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Pilate really here is in a conundrum. He, he doesn't want to deal with this. He'd much rather the Jewish people deal with Jesus on their own. Except the problem is <clears throat> that the Jewish leaders on their own are seeking nothing less than to kill the Passover Lamb of God. To kill Jesus. And they can't do that under that system. Um, the only capital punishment was held only in reserve for the Roman government. That was one of the things that only they could do. If they just did it themselves, they could be charged. Jesus, um, it said there, it predicted the kind of death that he would die. That is in verse, um, uh, verse 32. This happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Let's talk about the kind of death. Um, a Jewish death would have been a stoning. A Roman death was crucifixion. Two very different kinds of death. And Jesus was clear about this all throughout the book of John. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 14. If you're following along in your Bible and endeavoring to study and learn. In John three fourteen, just a couple of verses before probably one of the best known verses in the New Testament, John writes this, that Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus knew long before the plan was concocted that it would be a Roman execution that would be his ending. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And finally, four chapters later in John 12, verse 32. A song, a verse made into a song. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, all of those three instances of Jesus pronouncing that he would be lifted up to die, very clear, certainly in looking back on it, that the only death at that time was one where one was lifted up, was one of a Roman crucifixion. So Pilate starts asking Jesus, Are you a king? To which Jesus replies, Who's asking? Who wants to know? Is that your idea or is that idea given to you by someone else? He says, what have you done? Jesus says, I'm king, but not of this world. It occurred to me as I was thinking about marinating on that text in my mind that so many people who take a political position with Christianity... Forget these very important verses. Jesus said, if my kingdom would 
were of this world, I would fight to protect it. And you've got to. If the kingdom of God is a political institution, you've got to fight. You've got you to just pour out vitriol and hatred. and You've got to get involved in all sorts of choosing sides because you're fighting for the kingdom of God. But the one whom we follow, when placed in a position to fight, didn't fight. He didn't have to. His kingdom was much bigger than we could conceive. Much larger than we could ever grasp. Some people think our job on the kingdom is to bring the, the heavenly kingdom, to earth. No, that's not it at all. Jesus said if that was the whole purpose, Peter, when he took off Malchus's ear, I would have followed right behind and you know been throwing some lightning bolts around. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd fight to protect it. But it's not. It's bigger. Which is good news for us. Because when you're in Christ, you're a part of a kingdom that you don't have to worry about losing or fighting to protect. Yes, the enemy is still real and he is going to work. But we win. Being a part of the kingdom means being called out of the world system. We don't have to get into one side or the other, this fight or that fight. Try to worry about fighting and protecting a kingdom which is not of this world. Yes, we have to live in this world. Jesus certainly prayed for his disciples who would. May we not forget our home, our kingdom, is not here. Jesus understood that we should do no less. Pilate says, I have no basis for the charge, but I tell you what, I've got to crucify someone. And on Passover, I typically give you someone back. So who do you want back? You want Jesus back or do you want Barabbas? And of course, they infamously choose Barabbas. He did all of that. He was delivered. He was charged. Uh, And this is just the beginning He did all of that for you and I. He was arrested so that we might be set free. He was questioned so that he could become our only answer. He was charged that you and I might be justified. You and I might not be. He was delivered to death so that we might be delivered from it. We all are like Barabbas. A great price was paid to redeem us. May we not esteem that too lightly, that great price which was paid for us. If you have not chosen to bow your knee to the King of Kings, if you have not yet followed him down that road to crucify yourself and turn away from yourself, And repent of your sin and die a death under the waters of baptism. 
to be risen in new life, new hope, new spirit. If you're ready to do that tonight and you have not, you can come tonight and I'll be happy to encourage you and pray with you and help you through the next steps. And if you have done that but you've forgotten what kingdom you belong to and that it's not of this world but of the next, maybe you need to be prayed with or for or encouraged in some way. Whatever you need, please come as together we stand and sing.